and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Nick Shaw is the co-founder of Renaissance Periodization, a health and fitness company that has improved the lives of hundreds of thousands of clients around the world. Nick's story and the story of Renaissance Periodization, also known as RP, has appeared in a Forbes feature story, which chronicled RP's rise from a small business into an influential tech company with an industry-leading diet tracking app. Nick has also helped to coach numerous world-class athletes, including CrossFit Games champions, international medalists in weightlifting, UFC fighters, Navy SEALs, and Olympians. Nick is the co-host of the RP Strength Podcast with his wife and RP colleague, Lori Shaw. Nick holds a bachelor's in sports management from the University of Michigan, where he helped establish a scholarship for undergraduate kinesiology students, and from which he received the Early Career Achievement Award. Nick is the author of the book Fit for Success, which he published in 2020. He currently resides in Charlotte, North Carolina, with his wife and two kids. Nick Shaw, what an honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Oh, thank you for having me on. I, I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, it's such an honor to welcome you here. Your your work in your pretty early career is um, pretty impressive, I have to say. We did mention the University of Michigan. I understand you're a huge University of Michigan sports fan. Is that correct? <laughs> that would absolutely be correct. Um, pretty pretty diehard Wolverine, I must say so. Well, that's great. Um, as a as a Utah fan here in the Salt Lake Valley, huge fan of the Utah Utes, we thoroughly enjoyed coming up to Michigan in 2013, and and uh, ended up getting like mostly rained out. So there was a huge delay, but they ended up getting the win in the Big House, and then we actually beat you guys again here in Salt Lake City um, with Coach uh, Jim. Oh, I, I'm going to forget his name. Jim Harbaugh it was his very first game. Is that right? It was his very first game. Ironically, Utah also beat Michigan in 2008 is Rich Rodriguez as one of his first games. Oh, wow. I forgot so, about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually there. Yeah, I worked for the football team. That's why I remember it. Um, yeah. No. So, hey, we don't do well against you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, Utah couldn't take care of Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. It was our first time to the Rose Bowl. Uh, we would have loved, loved to polish them off and almost pulled it off. I but was not quite. rooting so hard for Utah. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Oh, thanks, man. If you guys were playing BYU, we'd be rooting for you guys hard, too. So it's uh, reciprocated for sure. <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, tell us a little bit about how you became so interested in fitness. I love hearing your personal story, which you've told a few times on different podcasts. But for our listeners, do you mind telling them how you got so interested in fitness to begin with? Yeah, man, I, that probably has to go way back in, into high school. And it's one of those things where I had an older brother who played sports and had one of those old rackety weight sets or sand weights and a bench you could barely fit your head in between to lay down on the bench. And, you know, I just saw him lifting and working out. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, I got an older brother. I want to be already strong like him. So I started doing a little bit of lifting. And, you know, of course, it's just the bench press curls, you know, the, the good stuff, right? <laughs> and I don't know, but just something just clicked with me. And I was like, wow, I really like this. And I really think it's the whole idea and concept of like, if I put in hard work and input X, I get out the output, you know, Y. And it's like, it's a very clear relationship of if I do this and if I work harder, generally speaking, I get better results. And I was like, man, this is really cool. Like, why wouldn't everyone do this? And then I kind of get into high school and started doing some sports myself. 
And, you know, I wanted to be pretty good. I definitely wasn't uh, blessed with great genetics. Uh, thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I was uh, I'm like five nine, so certainly don't have uh, the height and certainly not uh, one of the quickest people when I played sports or anything like that. But I actually was into running, and we were told one summer to run 100 miles, uh, not in total, just over the course of the summer, to get ready for uh, fall cross-country. And I was not very good my freshman year being on the cross-country team. Uh, I think we had nine people. The top seven made varsity. I didn't even run varsity. So uh, it was not, not good would be an understatement. But I was the only person, or maybe one of two people, that actually put in all the work that summer. And then the first day of practice, my sophomore year, I was up running with the top people from the year before. And I thought, what in the world is going on here? And it clicked. I go, oh, I started chatting with them. Turns out no one else had put in the work over the summer. And I thought, oh, this is the winning ticket right here. This is how you do it. And from that day forward, I just, it was like something just clicked. It just resonated with me. And I was like, I'm never going to be super, super talented, but man, I can just work my tail off. And if I do that, I'll at least have a shot. And so that's what drew me to fitness. And it's just the whole idea, the whole concept of getting better, pushing, doing more. You can get better. You can always get faster or stronger or leaner, et cetera. Uh, I just love it. So that is how it was born way back in the day. Yeah. Wow. I really love that. As a fellow five, nine person, I also blame my parents for, you know, never making it into my NHL career. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I find that piece of fitness to be its own reward. Almost. It's, it's so enticing to know that if you do the work, you are going to see some rate of return. You might not have all the genetics, but, but you can improve yourself. Yeah, no, I mean, I love, I love that idea. I love that concept. I love Honestly, at the core of it, if we really want to get down to it, it's like I love the idea of self-improvement, of getting better, of pushing myself. Uh, you know, you don't see these huge quantum leaps, uh, especially in fitness. I think that relates to many other areas of life as well. But, uh, you know, especially fitness, when you think about it, you don't gain 100 pounds to your bench or your squat or anything like that overnight. You just, it just requires work, patience, consistency, and I just love that whole concept. And I've, I've been at it for, you know, probably at least 20 years now of my life. I'm only 34. So I've been doing it most of my life. And I kind of was just laughing the other day because I have a home gym in my house here uh, in North Carolina. And I was listening to some like Eminem music. And I grew up in Michigan, of course. So just always been an Eminem fan. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I used to listen to these same songs almost 20 years ago. And they fired me up then, and they still fired me up today. And I was just like, that's really, really uh, neat. <laughs> I'll use the word neat, but how about that? Like 20 years later, I'm still doing, you know, and I'm not, I'm not mad at that. Like, I still love it. So that's, I don't know, I just love fitness, man. It's just part of my identity. It's part of who I am. Yeah, I love that. I love that you mentioned patience, and that's where we get the value from the exercise. Like, yeah, you have to chip away at this, and it's going to take a long time, and you need to be patient with it, but that's why it's so important and so valuable. If it were easy and we could you know, give everybody the magic pill, it wouldn't mean anything to anybody. Exactly, and that's, you know, so the whole idea of working hard, getting better is one of my sort of core, core life philosophies. The other one would be the idea of the slight edge principle. And it's that same concept you just mentioned. It's just, you keep doing these little small things day after day. 
And it really doesn't seem like much is happening. It doesn't really seem like much progress is happening. Maybe not even forward progress is being made every day. Or it's so, so, so minor, you don't even notice it. Just keep doing it. Just keep after it. And then months, years, really, potentially even decades down the line, you've made just monumental, huge changes. And a lot of people miss that because they want those quick, instant results overnight. And so they'll just get frustrated and they'll quit after you know a few weeks, a few months, something like that. But I don't know, that just goes back to that whole mindset of, well, I just know that a lot of people probably are going to quit. So I'm just going to keep at it. And I'm going to keep chipping away day after day, week after week, year after year. I just I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's what creates the true professional when everybody else is quitting because they're more amateur. The pro stays at it and does the work no matter what, no matter if it's hard, if it's raining, if it's snowing, it doesn't matter. They do the work. And you're right. Like over time, you see the separation in somebody who is a very good coach, a very good trainer, a very good nutrition coach versus somebody who just got into the game to sell a few things and then got frustrated when they realized like, this is a hundred percent commission. I'm not selling as much as I should. I don't know as much as I should. And then they quit. And you just miss out on all the good stuff that would pay off later on down in life. Yep. It goes back to uh, what's your time horizon and many people's time horizons are narrow and short. And my time horizon is, you know, I try to think in the span of uh, not necessarily even months, but really more like uh, years and even potentially decades. And it's a really hard concept to get. And I certainly don't think I've uh, been great at it all the time, but it's something that lasts like a few years of my life that I've really focused on. And it's just something that I try to remind myself of because it is, if you play the long game, you're going to be so much better off. You're going to make so many different, better choices. It's just really unbelievable. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. So at some point your interest becomes a career. When did fitness, you know, kind of enter your consciousness as something you actually wanted to do for your career? Uh, I would say probably uh, in college. I was just really into sports, really into fitness, working out, all that good stuff. And I met a guy in the gym, ironically, right? Of course, it's going to be in the gym. And he was a couple of years ahead of me in school. And he was like, hey, you should join a powerlifting club. And I said, right, well, it sounds kind of right up my alley. And just this, another kind of light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, man, this, this is it. I get to compete in lifting. I get to push myself, challenge myself. Like, this is, this is definitely you know, my next thing. And uh, lo and behold, you know, he ended up being the co-founder of RP with me. So that was really when it like, it kind of became clear. It's like, Hey, I can actually make a living out of this potentially the rest of my life. And so we worked as personal trainers in New York city after college. And then we kind of realized that maybe our time wasn't best spent training people in person because we had to travel all over the city and, you know, all that. And I just, man, this is really, really hard. So we actually started doing some online coaching and this was a decade ago. So kind of before it was super popular wow. and all that. And that was really like the start of RP uh, about a decade ago. So actually 2022 is more or less our 10 year anniversary. That's amazing. Yeah. So amazing. Such an early adapter to a new form, new way to train people. I'm, I'm so curious about the name. How did you choose the name? Yeah. Yeah. People always like to know that. So I guess that goes into two parts. People always said, hey, did you ever have any idea you'd be even remotely successful? And I go, well, no, because why would we have chosen that funny, crazy name, right? Like we just, it was something that, you know, it was just me and my buddy who started a company. We thought we were just going to write, you know, programs for close friends, family, things like that. So, uh, you know, Renaissance is really like the rebirth. So for us, it was the rebirth of evidence-based fitness practices in the space because we saw a lot of people doing some really interesting things when we worked as trainers and coaches in New York City. And we just thought, 
man, I wonder, I wonder if there's just like a better way. So my buddy had his master's in strength and conditioning uh, after U of M. And then he later went on to get his PhD in sports science, exercise physiology. So we just thought that there was a good opportunity to bring back evidence-based practices into the fitness space. So that was the Renaissance part. Uh, the, the periodization comes down to sort of using one phase to set up the next in sort of a logical manner. Uh, for example, you know, we just had the Winter Olympics not too long ago. Well, you can imagine that those folks train a heck of a lot differently in the days, weeks, or months leading into the Olympics than they do, you know, a couple of years out. So it was kind of, you know, that's that's how the name came to be. Also, uh, I should say a shout out. The Renaissance part also kind of ties into Renaissance Technologies, which is a head fund, hedge fund in Long Island. Uh, they basically replaced like stockbrokers and things like that with mathematicians, PhDs, physicists, you know, all that stuff. And so that was really what we were trying to do. We were trying to, you know, hey, let's not just do fitness stuff because, you know, we think this is right or this kind of like the next fad or the trend is like, no, no, no. We want to have coaches that are PhDs, registered dietitians, et cetera, that one, they can talk the talk, right? Because they're qualified to the nth degree academically, but also their competitive athletes themselves, you know, the world, world-class grapplers, uh, national level weightlifters, et cetera, all that. So when you have the best, right. When you can walk the walk and talk the talk, you know, it's really hard to kind of to argue with those folks. And that's really what we wanted to do at RP. What kind of format were you using to coach your people? Uh, Excel files. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so, yeah. so would you put specific like sets, reps, exercises, and nutritional recommendations just in an, in an Excel, an Excel sheet, excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Whether they wanted uh, nutrition help, whether they wanted training help, we would, we would do either or, or, you know, a combination of both. And that's how we started. We would send the programs. We would communicate with people by email, mostly sometimes social media, and, you know, because we go back in time, you know, 2012, 2013, even into 14, uh, Instagram was just getting started and we kind of caught, caught that at the right time. And, you know, with fitness and before and afters and all that, it really, really caught on. Uh, people seemed to, to like what we were doing. We thought, well, how do we take this coaching model that we have? We're, we're very, very confident in what we do and what we know and how we help people. How do we get this out to more people? And that's when we wrote our first ever ebook. Uh, the Renaissance Diet 1.0 that came out in 2014. And man, all of a sudden, you know, that reached, you know, thousands of people the first week and again, another light bulb went on saying, holy crap, like this is a really good way, cool way to reach more people, to help more people. Honestly, at the end of the day, what do we really want to do above all else? We want to help as many people as we can, you know, just to make sure they're not falling for fads or gimmicks and stuff in the fitness space. Like let's give these folks evidence-based practices that work above all else you know, of course, treat them well, good customer service and all that. But at the end of the day, we just want to deliver a product that works. And so how do we do that and potentially get it to as many people as we can? That's where the digital product uh, thing came in with the ebook, later led to our diet templates in 2015. And that's when we really kind of uh, RP caught on in the, in the fitness space. Uh, something I was curious about that I wanted to ask you was what to you, what is the importance of really starting something before you have like the perfect finished product, like starting something before you're like fully ready, before you fully think you're absolutely completely prepared. What, why do you think that's so important? I think that if you wait for quote unquote, the perfect opportunity or the product to be quote unquote perfect, 
chances are you'll never actually get it out there and you'll never never actually really test it out because there's always something more that can be done. You can always learn a little bit more. You can always fine tune, tweak, change some copy or some text, you know, all this stuff. There's always a little bit more to be done. At some point, you just have to make that call and you just have to be willing and able kind of to to know and to understand that like, it's not going to be perfect when it goes out. And that's okay because sometimes you just got to get it out there and you got to get feedback from real live, you know, paying customers or, you know, at least beta test it, something like that, because all the preconceived notions you have about it could turn out to be 100% correct or 100% incorrect, right? And you just don't know until you get it out there. So really that's what you got to do is get something out there, get that feedback from folks, learn what they like, what they don't like, and then just keep making little tweaks and, and, and adjustments as you go along. And you know, there, there really is no such thing as perfect. You have to be, I guess, okay with the idea that you'll make some little mistakes, little failures along the way. And so long as you learn from them, you should be good to go. I was just going to say those small failures are learning. So that's absolutely what you should be doing is taking that information, progressing, finding a new way, being creative, getting quiet with yourself so that you can find something different. I, I love that approach. And I love that you guys took that approach. I think that's so critically important. I'm glad we got to cover that. So, so I do want to talk to you about the science behind fitness and, and you know, what a quagmire all, all of this can be sometimes. Um, and I do want to start with periodization for a lot of people. I find they don't exactly know what periodization is in fitness. So can you explain a little bit more in detail? I know you already mentioned it, but can you explain a little bit more in detail what periodization is? Yeah, sure. I think the Olympics in like a four-year training block uh, is a real good example. So I'll just briefly touch on that again. So, well, actually, you know, I'll give a better example. So a lot of people watch, you know, professional sports in, in the U.S. So think about a football player. And if you have a strength and conditioning coach that uh, knows anything, uh, you're not training the same as you are in the offseason as you are during the season. Like you can train differently and you should be training differently because pro athlete during the season, they just want to kind of maintain everything. They don't want to get hurt. So you alter everything. So that's sort of one you know, season out of the year. And then when you get done with the, the season, obviously you need a little time to rest, but your training should look uh, quite a bit different, you know, sort of getting ready, getting better, getting faster, bigger, stronger, whatever that is. And then you, you make those improvements and then you sort of hang on to it during the season, right? You're not necessarily, making huge changes during the season because your time is much more spent, you know, Hey, how do you uh, practice, learn, watch film, all that stuff. So that's maybe one example that might resonate a little bit more. Another one that could resonate with, with your audience would be, let's say you have a hundred pounds. To lose. Do you just go on a diet and try to lose a hundred pounds in a row? Oh, I don't know. Gee whiz. That seems pretty tough to do. What if you periodized it and broke it down into some chunks where they're like, hey, I'm going to lose 25 pounds over the next three to four months. And then I'm going to take a little bit of a break. I'm going to maintain those results for a couple of months. Okay. And then I'm going to get back at it. And I'm going to lose another 25 pounds. I'm going to rinse and repeat that. Like that would be a good example of periodization. So losing the 100 pounds, it's not going to happen in three to four months. And I mean, that just doesn't happen. You want to do it in a smart, intelligent way that's actually going to last. But, you know, hey, it might take a year. It might take a year and a half. So it's like you diet for a few months, then you maintain. So it's like the idea of three steps forward, but instead of one step back, which you know usually that's how that analogy goes or that phrase goes, so you can go three steps forward, then you just step to the side a little bit. And that's it. That's kind of the idea of periodization is you just use one phase to set up the next phase to be more productive. 
that make sense? Yeah, perfect sense. It's just, it makes me think of the specificity of the event being so critically important, yeah. whether it's losing 100 pounds, yeah. whether it's the Olympics. You got a four-year training cycle. I mean, all of those guys were, were trying to peak for one specific like weekend, one day in yeah. a week for four years. Yeah. And now it's like the Olympics are over and yeah, you've got some World Cup races or something, but for the most part, those guys are totally resting. They've been focusing on one thing for years and years of their life. You know, and contrast that with somebody who is maybe like a major league soccer player where a season might be 10 months out of the year. You really need to be very specific yeah. when making recommendations for people as far as the periodization goes. Yeah, it's really tough. Well, let's think about the uh, 2020 Olympics, right? The summer Olympics. What happened to those? They yeah, were totally. delayed a year. Totally. I mean, I, I know in, in the grand scheme of things, there's so much other stuff going on in the real world and real life. But as an athlete who does train for, you know, a specific time, basically their entire life, more or less. That is absolutely crazy to get pushed back a year. It just really messes with that. And again, I, I know it's a super small thing in you know the, the grand scheme of the, the entire world and COVID and everything that was happening. So I'm not trying to like compare the two or anything like that. But from an athlete perspective, it really is just crazy. And then um, with all the restrictions and everything uh, at the Olympics, and they had to just sleep on all this weird stuff like man, if you were an athlete there, it was just, it was definitely not set up to be optimal. So kudos to all the athletes that, uh, you know, did go, did well, potentially hit PRs, new records, all that stuff. It really is amazing. Yeah, it really is. I couldn't agree more. You look at a sport like gymnastics, you you don't have forever to be optimal and a gold medal contender in gymnastics. You have a very, very tight window in a year is is a huge amount of time when you've been targeting oh, yeah. this one event for four years and it gets pushed back a year. That's a, that's a crazy major thing. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. I totally agree. Um, let's contrast that with somebody that's maybe like in a general, you know, fitness phase, let's say they're maybe maintaining, they're in a good spot. They're not necessarily training for event. How would a person like that look at their training and fitness and nutrition differently than somebody who is training for specific events on specific dates? Yeah. Yes. Really good question. So, the, I mean, here's the good news. If you don't have crazy goals and you just want to train to be healthier and, you know, maybe lose a little bit of weight, look a little bit better, you know, things like that, you have just a lot more flexibility with how you approach things. So you don't have to be as rigid. You don't have to be as, you know, hardcore when it comes to slowly lowering calories you know, anything like that. You don't have to be so rigid with sticking to your training plan perfectly. Here's the big thing. If you're just training for general fitness and, you know, again, all, all that good stuff, better health, look better, uh, et cetera, you just, you have to think about it in terms of consistency is more important than perfection. And let's think of like one of those old school, like volume knobs on a stereo. And as your goals get more serious, well, you also have to dial up the level of seriousness with your nutrition and training. So if you're a professional athlete, well, you should probably be changing that. You should be turning that volume knob up quite a bit to be more serious. Now, here's the funny part. And <laughs> genetics play a huge, huge role in all of this, especially in sports. I've personally seen a lot of professional athletes that have not very good you know, nutrition and training sort of habits. And you think to yourself, how in the world are they professional athletes? It doesn't make any sense. A lot of them uh, can be very, very productive. 
uh, sort of in spite of what they do because their genetics are so good. So, you know, and I, I only bring that up because when we use that uh, volume knob analogy and you sort of picture it, oh, okay, well, like the people at the top must really, really be dialed in. Man, that's not the case uh, oftentimes. Now, of course, there are many examples of folks that are, which is absolutely phenomenal, but that's really the big difference. Just the more general your goals are, like the more flexible you can be with the way you approach things, which for most people, that's awesome news because that means training twice a week is absolutely better than not training at all. And if you have a little bit more serious goals, well, maybe then are training three, four times a week and your nutrition can be, you know, kind of think of the 80-20 rule. You can eat very, very good 80% of the time, but, uh, you know, hey, every now and again, you want to have some foods that you enjoy, go out with friends and family, like you totally can and should if you're just looking to maintain your weight and kind of just have good habits overall. Sure. Uh, my nutrition coaching certification is precision nutrition. And we were taught to kind of divide people into different levels. So you'd have levels one through three and level one would be, you know, 98% of the people probably listening to this podcast who are out there where it's, you're, you're just looking at some of those general things and we're working on simple habits, making sure you're chewing your food properly, including, you know, some fruits and vegetables, making sure that you're having protein with every meal. And it's just kind of those behavior coaching yeah, things where you're yeah. not really deep diving. I'm not giving very specific recommendations to, to that person. And that goes all the way up to a level three, which could be like, a, you know, an athlete who has that stereo knob dialed up all the way. And it's like, okay, no more generalization. You eat exactly this maybe needs to be like weighed out at exactly this time mm -hmm. on this day. And I don't care whether you're in the mood to eat it. I don't care whether you have the ability to cook it or not. Like you find a way and you go out and do it. And those are two very different things. Totally. That's actually a really good way to look at it. So when you have a beginner, it's just like, hey, yeah, like you said, your goal, hey, focus on protein and vegetables at every meal. Uh, you do that, you're, you're, man, you're on the right track. You're going to do quite well. Hey, but you're, you know, an Olympian who's training multiple times a day. Yeah, guess what? You might have to weigh, you have to measure things. Uh, guess what? You might have to time things because you get done with practice one. You got to make sure you're fueling up properly so you're ready to go practice two later on in the day. Like it's just a lot more serious. So it really just depends on the goals. And man, it's just such good news because I think sometimes people, when they're first getting started, they think that they have to be so perfect that it gets a little overwhelming. And, you know, I think we all have that feeling when we're starting something new. So that's understandable. But a good coach, like you said, should be able to kind of break that down a little bit and be like, hey, you know, listen here, I'm going to cut you the real deal. You just have to do these couple things and you're going to get, you know, 70% of the way there. And that's pretty good. So let's just do that at first, get you comfortable with all this. Then we'll start turning up the, you know, the dial it, dial it in, I guess is the the right way. Yeah. I love that. So whether somebody has a coach or not, how can somebody tell whether their plan is working versus when they need to take a pivot or change things up? Well, we, a good way is, is the scale. Of course, if you're trying to lose weight or gain weight. You're monitoring that a couple of times a week. You don't have to be super crazy with it every day or anything like that, but uh, that's going to be a good way. Now it's certainly not the only way and not the only one that I would ever suggest, a lot of it is, I like to, there's really like an art and a science of coaching. And, you know, we can talk about the science all day long, right? And be like, oh, the optimal way to do this is, you know, X, Y, and Z. 
But then the real world hits and you have to interact with people that are living real lives, work and stress, and kids, blah, 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 all that stuff. And sometimes you have to find that middle ground. So being able to work with people and sort of meet them, I don't want to call it halfway, but you know, a little bit on the way of where they are, uh, it's a real big deal for a lot of folks because uh, a mistake that I made early on, maybe five, six years ago, was I was working with some pretty elite level athletes and I actually was so proud of this one diet plan that I wrote out. Like this person was training three times a day. Man, I had everything timed out perfectly based on their schedule that they'd sent me. And I was like, man, this is, this is, this is my best work ever. And then I sent it to the person and they just never stuck with it. <laughs> and it, it didn't hit me right then, but I was like, I was almost, you know, I'm not one to get offended, but I was almost like, what in the world's going on here? Like, I can't believe this. I was like, this is literally my, my, this is like my Mona Lisa. Right. And then, you know, come to find out about it. I just, I started thinking more about it. Cause I'm like, what did I do wrong here? I was just really going deep. I'm like, what could I have done differently? I just, I don't understand it. And then like the same thing happened to me again later on with another, like, you know, real high level athlete. And I was like, okay, I, I gotta figure something out here. Like, what am I doing wrong? And I was just like, I started talking with some other folks and they're like, if you thought about like, just dialing it back a little bit, like not being so intense. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, these people are the best in the world. Like they, they're like, but they're not actually following it. So like, what good is the plan you're sending them? And I was like, oh man, that is, that's a good way to look at it. And that's when I started changing my approach a little bit. And the, the, the art of coaching came into play and I was like, okay. I have to trade off a bit of quote unquote optimality for letting them actually stick to and adhere to the plan. And once I realized that, I mean, I probably became a 10 times better coach overnight. Wow. Yeah, that's such a good realization. I think if you've been training for any period of time, you can totally relate to your story. I had a guy hire me once, like twice a week for a specific trip he was taking in four months, had very specific body comp goals. And so I wrote out the perfect meal plan, the perfect periodized workout programs, like like micro, macro, the whole thing, like everything done. And he comes in the first day and I'm like, okay, we got a pull day. We're going to do deadlifts. We're going to do some rows. We're going to do them like this. We're going to progress in this way. And he goes, biceps. I said, well, no, we're going to, I mean, we'll do some biceps. We're doing poles, but uh, yeah. we're going to do some deadlifts first. He's like, no, I want to do biceps on Monday and I want to do chest on Thursday. And so it's like, okay, <laughs> here we go. We're going to have to pivot. I remember I would always, right. I would always set the He's curl bar. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I would always at least set the curl bar like on the ground in front of him. So I had to like trick him into doing at least one deadlift per workout. <laughs> but. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You're right. You have to adjust those things based on the person and what they want and what they can do. I'm really glad you made that point. Um, um, this is an extremely general question. I wonder if you can address this. Everybody's going to be a little bit different, but how do you balance, typically speaking, generally speaking, resistance training with cardiovascular training? Yeah, great question. It depends really on how, like, what the person's goals are and you know what the time restrictions are. If someone works at home and they have a ton of time, well, hey, it's going to be okay. Let's, uh, let's have you lift like probably at least three times a week. That's, that's a really, real, real good start. And then for cardio, you know, if you don't have performance goals, you're not trying to do races or anything like that. I'm going to say, Hey, let's, uh, let's get you a little step tracker or something like that. Real simple and easy. And let's just see where you're at a couple of days. Like just do life normal. <laughs> don't go out of your way to, to do a lot more stuff. Let's see where you're at. Let's say it's, you know, 6,000 steps a day. I'm going to say, all right, cool. Let's try bumping that up to like 8,000. 
And it's just a little bit of a change. You know, that might mean they get out and walk for, you know, an extra, I don't know, 30 minutes or something like that. Man, that's really simple and easy to do. Usually it's a good stress reliever. You got a dog, you got a kid, push them in the stroller, something like that. It's kind of a win-win all around. So that's maybe one approach for more general fitness. Now, if you had someone that was training for a race, uh, well, you know, it kind of goes back to that volume knob. And now we have to start turning that up a little bit. And we're probably going to want to, you know, hey, you know, the, the time that you lift versus the time that you run, we might actually start doing those on different days and, you know, different things like that. So, man, I know it's one of those questions that the answer, uh, no one really likes because it's, it depends, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it really just does. Be, well, and, here, and here's another thing. So if you have someone that wants to lose weight and they're just like New York city businessmen, super just time crunch, they don't have time to do cardio it might very well be they lift for like 30 minutes and then you're having them do some, some, some hit cardio for like 10, 15 minutes after. So they're done in like 40 minutes, they can shower, they can get back to work. And like, that's it. Cause that's all they really have time for. Now, hopefully the good news is they live in New York city. They're probably getting in a lot of steps anyways, cause you usually just walk a lot in New York. Like I lived there for six years. Uh, it's kind of crazy how much I never had a step tracker back then, but you know, up and down subway, all that. So yeah, you know, that definitely plays a role too. But the more flexibility people have, the more freedom, time, work from home, man, you know, hey, get out, move around, walk around. It doesn't have to be anything super crazy. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I would have somebody do low intensity cardio, as much movement as they could fit in the day. But if they had a limited amount of time, I would agree with you. I think the time is best spent in the resistance side of the gym versus the cardio side of the gym, even though yes. the treadmill is yeah. going to say you burned X number of calories, but I'd rather know that somebody's burning more calories all the time by building muscle mass, getting stronger, yes. that kind of thing, yes. working for them. Yeah, I love that. So this this was a concept that didn't I, I was not introduced to early on in my career with training. It, it took a few years and a lot of like metabolic testing using metabolic heart to really realize this. But can you explain why periodization with fitness and nutrition is so important to couple those two things together? Yeah, so I'm trying to think of a good way, a good analogy for kind of like general fitness folks to understand. So um I'm probably not going to use a great example here, but let's say like think of a weightlifter that uh, is trying to peak for a specific meet. Uh, and so usually as you peak and kind of taper into a meet, your training volume really goes down. So that's, that would not be a good time to also reduce your calories and like try to cut really hard. So to keep as much lean muscle, lean tissue as you can, typically you want to train with fairly high volumes so uh, kind of think of old school kind of bodybuilding training. That's usually best to like maintain muscle. Like there's a reason bodybuilders look the way they do, right? Um, so you wouldn't want to be trying to diet really hard and not train very much with weights because what's going to happen? Well, you're probably going to lose lean tissue. And we just talked about it. You don't want to lean, you don't want to lose lean tissue. We want to hold on to that really at kind of all costs more or less. So that's maybe a good example on how the two sort of, uh, overlap with one another. Yeah, no, that's a really good explanation. I'm also thinking like maybe like an endurance athlete, you know, may be able to get away with like, you know, more protein, maybe some more fat in an off season where they're just building up their aerobic base, but during training season, they may need an extra boost and they have to increase carbohydrates or things like that. Is that kind of how you're thinking about that as well? Yes, that's also the case. So, you know, someone that's just putting in tons and tons and tons of miles, you know, tons and tons and tons of volume, 
right? And that volume can actually be lifting or it could be running, uh, cardio, et cetera. Uh, the demands are going to go up for the carbohydrates. So they should absolutely be more carbohydrates for a better, better sporting performance. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love how you guys approach nutrition in a way that's not dogmatic. It doesn't follow one particular camp and, you know, scream that that's the best thing to do ever for everybody all the time. Um, it, it really does seem very pragmatic and practical. Can you tell us some of the um, kind of general guidelines, again, very high level, but some of the general guidelines you believe in nutrition that pretty much everybody could benefit from? Sure. So we, we have this uh, pyramid that we created is uh, nutritional priorities. So literally on one half of it, you have adherence, right? So Again, it goes back to the story about me working with athletes that never followed the plan, even though I thought it was amazing. Uh, lesson learned. But without adherence, you know, none, none of this really matters, right? Like we're just, we're basically, how do we create a plan that people can actually follow? So that's sort of the overriding principle, main theme that we have to focus on. Beyond that, it really is your calorie balance. So if you want to lose weight, it's like, how does that look? You know, how many calories are you burning versus how many you can consume? Now, that's not to say the calories are the only thing that matters. Of course not. We would never say that. But it is really like sort of the engine to the car. If we want to get anywhere, it's really, we got to make sure that that's good to go. Uh, and now, again, I'm talking about from the perspective of uh, improving body composition. So maintaining lean tissue, losing fat, uh, being able to perform adequately. So that's where I'm coming from when I, when I lay out these priorities here. So we got adherence, we got calorie balance. Then we're going to talk about the macronutrient ratios. So the main one we always start with is protein. Proteins first, especially when it comes to lean tissue and sports and all that. Um, and then... Uh, carbohydrates usually come second for us, <clears throat> and that's because we're a little bit more performance focused. Uh, if we were just more pure general health, protein is still going to be first, and then that split of fats and carbs are a little more interchangeable. Um, that's why before we started the podcast, you know, we were chatting, and you know, you said maybe your your crowd's a little bit more uh, lower carb, and I was like, oh, okay, well, people probably know of RP is is not being low carb, but you know, that's fine. But do we do think there's absolutely good times and places uh, to do lower carb? So it's not like we're, you know, we're not dogmatic about it, right? Because there's absolutely good cases to be made for for low carbs in specific instances and all that good stuff. Uh, but yeah, so after the calories and then after macros, we're getting it into smaller details like nutrient timing, uh, and then even sort of like food quality, food composition, and you know, things like supplements. So that kind of rounds out how we look at it. Yeah, but you're starting with the foundation of, you know, the whole foods and just making sure that people are getting adequate amounts of protein, which I absolutely love. And then you're leaving things like supplements, you know, again, the, the magic pill that most people are looking for, it doesn't exactly exist if you don't have that foundation laid first. 100%, yeah. So one of the cool things, so if like, what's the easiest way to kind of just improve general nutrition for most people? Well, it's not super, super complicated, and it, it does all tie into, I guess, calorie balance in, in a nutshell, because if you get people eating protein at every meal, uh, usually eating some veggies at each meal, and more or less just eating, you know, real whole foods rather than, you know, processed foods, you're getting sort of into a better calorie balance by default. And so that's like one of these crazy things because people, you know, love the, you know, keto or whole 30, you know, et cetera, RP, macro counting, you have to fit your macros. Well, it's like, what are the commonalities at the end of the day between all of these? And that's why we're not so dogmatic. And it's like, well, if you just eat mostly good foods, you get the calorie balance kind of by default. And I always like to say, and 
I'm partially kidding here, but you can't overeat by, you know, eating veggies and broccoli, right? It's just, it's, it's damn near impossible. So it's like, if you just start eating better and cut back on those super tasty, uh, hyper palpable foods, you're just not, it's much harder to overeat. Yeah. I love that. It's also interesting too. You mentioned performance and I know you guys do work with a lot of high-performing athletes and you know, it, it, it's funny you get into this world and you see a lot of those high-performing people and yeah, you're worried about really minute details and, and all of these things need to be totally dialed in when, you know, you go to the mall or go walk around or something, you see like, Oh, like the general population has a long, long way to go. And just making some small strides to get out like vegetable oils or like processed foods, like you mentioned, hyper palatable foods, sugar, all the time time, like too much of it all the time is kind of more of a priority versus, you know, figuring out the details from the very beginning. Yeah, no, I mean, just go walk into a mall and look at the food court. You're just like, holy cow. You know, here's the thing, because and this goes back to uh, what you had said, starting people out at like a beginner level. I, I mean, there's so many people out there. If you ask them what, uh, what a macronutrient is, they would have no idea. No idea. And so if you started throwing like Oh, hey, you need X amount of protein, carbs, and fast per day. They'd look at you and be like, Cinnabon. Like you're speaking, <laughs> yeah, like you're speaking a, a foreign language. So it's like, okay, hmm, how do I maybe approach this to make it easier to get them started? It's like, okay, hey, how about this? Don't eat these, you know, five things. And it doesn't have to be a huge list to start. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, and now all of a sudden this person stops, you know, drinking uh, soda. You know, like, so there's two cans a day, 40 grams of carbs each. Oh, okay. There's 80 grams of carbs in a day. They're no longer consuming. That's 320 calories. That's a good start. You know, it's saying little things like that. Maybe now they're not getting fast food. So they eliminate that, you know, quick drive through at McDonald's or whatever, a couple of times a week. All right, boom. There's another five, six, seven, 800 calories. It's like, you can just do these real simple things to get people started. And then it's like, it's just a good sort of a general awareness type thing as well. Where like now they're maybe just slightly more aware of the food options and choices that they're making. And let's not overlook that because that's huge, especially for people that are just getting started and don't really know a whole lot. So, Hey, you know, let's keep it simple for a lot of folks. Yeah, that's great. Tell us a little bit, going back to your company, how things evolved. We kind of got to the point where you're using Excel sheets. You just started with eBooks. Technology has evolved quite a bit since then. Can you tell me what direction you and the company are moving now? Yeah, so we're definitely more in the, in the line of uh, like a tech company now because we do a mobile application. So you can get it through the Google Play Store. You can get it on uh, you know Apple. And it's, it's really, really cool. It's really, really nifty. Um you know, I will say it's, it's probably going to start people off a, a little more, you know, higher carb in general, so to speak. Um, but it's, it's like a diet coach in your pocket. So rather than having to pay a couple hundred dollars a month, which, you know, unfortunately not everyone can afford, uh, you basically pay $15 a month and you tell the app what your goals are. You lay out your schedule, you know, when you work out, when you wake up, when you go to sleep, et cetera, all this, and how many meals you want per day. And then the app tells you exactly how much you eat at every single meal. So it's going to tell that uh, based on uh, macronutrient breakdown. So I would never suggest your app if someone's not already quite familiar with, uh, you know, counting their macros, tracking their macros. And if they are, it would make a lot more sense. But for a beginner, it would be sort of like, you know, uh, jumping up to level three, right? You sort of skip level one and level two. But uh, yeah, you do that. You track your weight in there a couple times a week. Uh, it tracks your progress weekly and then it uh, suggests updates to it. And so if you're on track, 
you'll kind of just keep cruising along. If you fall behind track or ahead of schedule, the app's going to make weekly suggestions. So it really is like, uh, you know, having me coach someone, but through an app. And so rather than paying a couple hundred dollars a month, pay 10 or $15 a month. Yeah, that's great. It's so overlooked too. what you mentioned, which is like, if what you're doing is working, there's no need to make changes. I think people are so quick to change their program, but if it's giving you results, like just keep doing that until it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, totally. Well, so here, I mean, I've said this a bunch of times before the goal when you're dieting to lose weight and to lose fat is to eat as much as you possibly can while still reaching your goals. Like there's no bonus points for jumping ahead and, you know, lowering calories more than needed because chances are the more aggressive you go, right. The, the quicker, the faster you lose weight, typically speaking, the faster it's going to come back. So that's why we like that. Again, it goes back to what we talked to at the very beginning of the podcast, play the long game, have a longer term time horizon, go a little bit slower, a little bit steadier. Those results are going to be more lasting, more sustainable. And then you don't have this, you know, binge thing, or you don't have this yo-yo dieting cycle. So it's like, if people can just delay gratification a little bit, and it's a hard thing for people, especially nowadays, they're going to be so much better off. Yeah, I totally agree. Protecting that resting metabolic rate, the number of calories you burn at rest is just so critically important. I see that crash pretty low when people are doing things that are more extreme in the short term versus, like you said, just being patient, take your time. Let's make small adjustments as we go. Get you some small wins would be more likely to give you more wins yes. down the road. Yeah, I totally love that. Um, so tell us a little bit about what sets your app apart. Obviously, you weren't the first diet tracking app. There were other ones out there, but what were you seeing or maybe not seeing in some of those apps? that you wanted to bring to the table? Yeah, well, I wouldn't even classify our app as a tracking app. I mean, it's really not, you can track some of it, yes, but it's it's more of a coach and more of a planning app. So if you're like, hey, you know, I like using my fitness pal, but I don't know, gee whiz, I can tell it ate 50,000 grams of carbs today. It's going to be like, okay, cool. It's just going to let you know you went over. And you're like, oh, okay. It doesn't tell you when to eat. It doesn't tell you how much to eat at each meal. That's a lot to the, to the piece of the puzzle, right? So our app is going to tell you how much to eat on a per meal basis, based around your schedule. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, how many meals you want per day? Do you want three meals a day? Do you want six meals per day? Our app's going to help with that. So it's just more of a planning tool. And then you go in, you're like, oh, okay, hey, I need 40 grams of protein. Cool. I'm going to click on chicken breast. Or, hey, you know, I'm going to scan my food here. It's going to tell me how much of that I need to sort of hit those goals. And now with our most recent update, because the app used to be a little bit more uh, rigid on that. You couldn't really go over or under any. But now, like you can, right? So if you're out and about and, you know, you grab a quest bar or something like that, oh, and hey, maybe you go a little bit over that meal or you're a little bit under, well, you just take whatever's left and you just kind of move it to the next meal. So it just allows a bit more of that real life practicality to our app. So uh, I totally hear you on the tracker thing. Most people are familiar with something like MyFitnessPal as a tracking tool. I think of it as like a food diary. Our app is like my fitness pal, but we're going to help plan your meals out for you. We're going to help be there every step of the way along your dieting journey to reach your goals, no matter what they are. Fat loss, weight gain, performance, we got you covered. 
Yeah, that's totally different than just tracking something and seeing like, gee whiz, I got X number of this and Y number of this. It doesn't really tell you anything. It's amazing that that can adapt to you and help coach you along the way. It, it occurs to me to be able to create something like this. You may need like one or two like smart people around you. Can you maybe talk a little bit about your team? And um, you, you got a few, you got a few good people there, a few smart guys, I would say, one or two. Yeah, if you are the smartest person in the room, they say you're in the wrong room, right? Well, luckily, <laughs> I've never had that problem, so I'm on the right track, I guess. Uh, yeah, we, we've got a great team, so we've got 20-plus coaches on our side. I want to say it's, it's at least 25 now. Pretty much every single one of them is a PhD or a registered dietitian that has you know, a master's degree in sort of a, a sport-related, nutrition-related field. Uh, that's on our coaching side. We have an incredibly talented team of engineers software engineers uh, that we work with that build our app um, and, you know, all of that stuff on the back end. They are phenomenal. My, my buddy, Dr. Mike, uh, the co-founder of RP with me is the smartest person I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. So, you know, he's really great at sort of creating all the algorithms and, and all that stuff behind the scenes. And, you know, it's my job just to kind of help, help man and to make sure we're, we're heading in the right direction. Well, it, it's just so fun to like go down the your website and pull down all the people in your team. And it's like you said, like doctor, doctor, RD, doctor, RD, doctor, doctor, like holy smokes, like you got a great team around him that I'm sure is just able to create so many interesting and customizable things for your clients, which is amazing. You guys also do a really great job of posting before and after photos and, and doing a good job of highlighting the stories of the people that, that use your products. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important? Yeah. So in terms of marketing, there's a, there's a great book called uh, Influence by Robert Cialdini. And one of the things in there is just called Social Proof. And listen, there's so much out there that we don't know or can't possibly know that we look to other people to sort of guide our actions. So let's say you're living in New York City or actually you said you're in Salt Lake City. Let's use Salt Lake City. You're walking downtown Salt Lake City and you see 10 people running towards you and running the other direction. What do you immediately think? Yeah. Like, run with him. Oh, crap. Like, ah, something terrible has happened. Like, I'm going to start <laughs> running that direction too. So, you know, the, the same thing applies when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, online. And now there's so many different places and coaches and all that online that it can kind of be hard to figure out, like, well, who actually knows what they're talking about? And, you know, well, hey, does it work? You know, here's the thing I used to have, there used to be discussions about RP, you know, several years ago, five, six years ago, something like that. And it was like, well, does RP really work? Nobody ever asks for questions that now. It's not, does RP work? It's, you know, should I use RP or is the app, you know, right for me? Uh, it's no longer, hey, like, these guys know what they're talking about. Yes, we do. We have so many, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of clients that have had great results that it's just uh, our results really speak for themselves. Yeah, that's a great point. It, it is not really a question of whether this works or not, of whether I want to do the work and be able to do it because so many other people are showing those results, like you said, I think is fantastic. Um, you've also written a book. Tell us a little bit about Fit for Success. Yeah, Fit for Success was really my take on like uh, the success so we talked about the nutritional priorities before, um, but all of our books were centered really around nutrition, training, or recovery. I wanted to write a book that was a bit more uh, applicable to everyday life of just what does it really take to be successful? And if you ask someone, what does success mean to you? 
success means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It might be business. It might be personal finances. It might be fitness. It might be overcoming adversity or obstacles, things like that. But what, what I started to notice was, and I love reading. I pretty much, you know, I've read, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of books here the last few years is I started noticing a lot of common themes between people that were successful. And it didn't really matter like what area of their life, a lot of things sort of inter interwove with one another. And, and that's when I kind of, the idea of the pyramid stood out to me. I was like, oh, well, why don't I create like the priorities? And so that's what I did. And so there's really seven main, I guess, priorities to to success. And um, it was also very personal for me because I, I wrote the book in 2020 and you know, my wife was going through uh, some, some health issues uh, along with the, the pandemic and all that. So yeah, we had a rough 2020 and I just knew that you know all these things, living them in real life, were able to help get me through it. So if I could get some good and, and do something good for a lot of other people that I knew were also going through something real negative with 2020, that pandemic, you know, all that, that, uh, you know, it really helped a lot of folks. And so that's what I did. And the book came out in November of 2020. And I'm, you know, very happy with uh, the, the feedback and everything I've gotten from it. Uh, tons and tons of good feedback. You know, people love it. It's got a really long uh, suggested reading list at the end too. I always like those uh, when I'm reading a book. So yeah, that's it. I mean, if you want to Hey, just kind of learned. Uh, I'm not even going to call it secrets. There's no secrets to success, but just want a real practical uh, guide. And the book's you know less than 200 pages. You can read it in a few days. Uh, check it out, and you're going to be better off. I can guarantee that if you read it. That's great. Of the seven, what are some of the more foundational ones that you included to be successful? <clears throat> um, I'm going to touch on my my personal favorite one: internal locus of control. And what this means is, do you focus on the things that you actually have control over? For example, when it rains, do you focus on letting it ruin your day? Oh, this is a bad day. Oh, hey, woe is me. That's more of an external look of control because you can't control the weather. You can't control whether or not it's going to rain. So focusing on that doesn't really make any sense. But on the flip side, the people that tend to be more successful overall have more of an internal locus of control. So they focus on, well, okay, it is raining. So so what? So now what? What do I do? Well, they focus on the things they actually have control over. They take an umbrella with them. They put on rain boots. They put on a rain jacket. Uh, let's say they have to go somewhere. They're going to leave a few minutes early, right? Because they can't control the weather and the traffic. So successful people tend to focus more on what they actually have control over. And that generally makes a huge, huge difference. A little quick personal story on that note. So my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer in early January 2020, before the pandemic hit. She was going through chemo. She had surgery in February and all that. So we had all this crap going on in our lives. Our kids were being homeschooled now. My wife was going to chemo by herself. She couldn't no one could go with her. So there would have really been a time where we could have just really gotten down and negative on ourselves, but we didn't. And we focus on just something real small that we actually could control. And one night uh, we got together as a family. So uh, me, my wife, my, my son, and my daughter, and we all shaved our heads because my wife was going to lose her hair. And, you know, because we couldn't control everything that we were going through, right? It's just outside of our control. But we did have control over when. And so when we did that, it literally took what could have been, you know, one of the you know, darkest times of our lives, so to speak, and, and transformed it into this night that like we'll all remember as a positive night for the rest of our entire lives. And so like that's the power 
of internal locus of control. Love that. I'm so glad that's your favorite principle. What an amazing and special night that everybody's going to remember uh, for the rest of their lives. That's that's totally wonderful. Um, my mom suffered with breast cancer, and so I know how important that was to kind of show that support. And her mantra yeah. during the whole thing is like, just find one good thing. Like, yeah, today might really yes. suck. I might be super tired. Chemo sucks. <laughs> but if they're, yeah. you know, look for one good thing. And I've really loved this last year, taking a deep dive into stoicism and learning some of these stoic principles and the dichotomy of control and learning that you have preferred indifferences. Like you may not want it to rain today. It might be your day off and you might have a great day at the beach planned, but guess what? Like you don't have control of that, like you said, and it's just a preferred indifference. You can prefer to be healthy. You can prefer to be wealthy. You can prefer to have good weather all the time, but that's not always going to happen. And I just love how pragmatic you were during, you know, first, a very difficult time with COVID, but second, yeah. th th what, what you must have gone through with not only the homeschooling, but having your wife have all of those things happen all at once, like that would crush people without, you know, taking the approach that you did and being pragmatic and saying, look, I can't, I can't run the business maybe the way that I want to right now. I have to spend more family time, but maybe I've got extra time that I can write this book and put that out there. I, I think that's wonderful. 100%, man. I knew I wasn't going to be going anywhere for, you know, four months or something like that. And we were literally in very strict, you know, quarantine lockdown because this was early 2020 and, you know, she was going through chemo at the time and, you know, there's just so much unknown. I was like, well, I got a couple of choices. I can, you know, sit and complain and all that stuff or, hey, you know, I can uh, try to make something really good, productive, positive of it. And, you know, that's what I did. I love that. That's fantastic. Tell us, you, you told us about reading. Tell us the importance of constantly learning and being humble enough to change your mind about things along the way. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think I know all that much and I'm always willing and able to want to learn, grow. And uh, the more you know, I mean, the more hopefully just better choices you can make. Uh, man, man, there's just so many benefits to reading. I don't, I don't really know where to start, but man, we live in such an amazing time where there's just so much information, so much free information online that if you really want to learn something, go hop online and just start reading, start learning, check stuff out, watch videos on YouTube, et cetera. Man, we just, again, this goes back to kind of just being grateful and, you know, you can really get down on stuff. But if you think about all the just wonderful technologies and things that we have nowadays, it's, so remarkable that you know you could go get a college education out there for essentially free online it's, it's, it's truly amazing yeah couldn't agree more i think of, of somebody who maybe doesn't know how to cook you know 20 years ago, 30 years yeah. ago, they may have to do some type of classes or training or formal education or whatever. Now it's like, if you don't know how to cook, just pull up some YouTube videos. Like you can learn some basic skills that will then enable you to eat healthy for the rest of your life. There's no limits on that kind of stuff. There's so much free content everywhere. You're right. You can become an expert on something without any of that formal training. We do live in an amazing and wonderful time as far as that goes. 100%. Awesome. This has been an incredible conversation. I'm wondering if you had one simple tip that you would like to leave with the listeners, what would that one thing be? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I sure do. There's a book called The Slight Edge written by Jeff Olson. I would so highly encourage everyone to go out there and read it and start applying those fundamental principles. It's probably the number one sort of overriding life philosophy that I live by that uh, I just do the little things and I'm going to keep doing the little things. And over the long run, I know it's going to pay off in a huge, 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 huge way. So I don't expect huge quantum leaps. Although, you know, do I get frustrated from time to time? Absolutely. I'm human, 
but I just keep doing it and I just keep going and I'm going to be consistent. And I'm going to keep showing up and I'm going to keep doing the little things, you know, read a little bit each day, you know, make sure I save, you know, save and invest and all that stuff. And I just, I know that it's going to pay off in the long run. Beautiful. Best way to eat an elephant one bite at a time. I love that. Boom. Nick yeah. Shaw, my man, where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work? Yeah. So, you know, Hey, please come check out us on uh, Instagram at RP strength. That's where most people know about us. A lot of cool educational stuff and, you know, some pretty inspirational before and afters on there. Uh, we actually have a second account. It's RP underscore transformations that I think has something like four or 5,000 different client posts. Uh, so it's really, really cool. And then uh, myself personally, it's just at Nick Shaw RP on Instagram. Uh, you know, I love to connect with people on there. And uh, yeah, if you want to check out my book, uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on uh, Audible as well. Uh, there's a little, little extra podcast in there uh, along with that. You know, maybe a couple dollars if you do Kindle as well. Uh, I just want to get out there and help as many people, man. And then, uh, you know, our website, rpstrength.com, that's a great spot. You can go check out, uh, you know, our coaches, sign up for one-on-one -on -one coaching and whatnot. And go check out our app as well if you're, you know, pretty experienced with counting macros. That's fantastic. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Nick Shaw, co-founder of Renaissance Periodization. Thank you so very much for everything that you have done. Thank you for taking the time to really individualize these programs and, and figure out a way to scale this so that it can benefit so many people. Like we said, hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. That must feel amazing, uh, you know, from what you started to have it progress to what it is today and to always be open to learning and changing things as you go, I think is fantastic. So thank you so very much for you and your career. And thank you very much for appearing on our show today. We really appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. I really do appreciate it. It was great chatting. Yeah, it was a great chat. Such an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, we have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas of your body. It's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. 
So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30 minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.